Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Lehman Property Management Company has the apartment you will be able to call home with over 1,700 apartment units available in central Illinois. Visit them today at laymanproperties.com or connect with them on Facebook. Molly DeFrank is my guest today, and she grew up with a father who worked in the entertainment industry for decades, so she appreciates technology, but she also sees the value of detox for a season and moderation for life. She's the author of Digital Detox, the two-week tech reset for kids, which I highly recommend. She's going to unpack some of those principles for us today. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's go back as we begin, and I'd love to hear more about your experience growing up with a father in the entertainment industry, because most of us don't share that same background. So I'm curious to learn, what was that like? Yeah, well, you know, it was really pretty cool, to be honest. My dad grew up in Pittsburgh, and he was always an incredible writer, and he would watch TV. This was probably, I guess, in the 60s. And he wanted, he had a dream to write for Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. And I think a lot of people might have thought he was a little crazy. His dad was a butcher and his mom was a bank teller. And he and my mom got married. He was in the Air Force. And then they moved out to Southern California with two little kids. They were very young. And over the course of a couple of years, he wound up fulfilling that dream. He was writing for Johnny Carson and he wrote for Rodney Dangerfield. These names are probably older if you're about my age. <laughs> but if you're older than me, the, these were pretty big names in in comedy. So it was really neat. He worked really hard and he was an incredible man. And so, yeah, it was fun. He, he had a lot of friends in the industry and we'd go visit movie sets. And t- I loved visiting him on set when he was on staff. He worked for all different shows. He wrote an episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, he, he was really great. I, I think the best part is that he was such a great guy and he was so incredible. And and he followed his dream and it was it was really inspiring to me. So that's so cool to hear the backstory because I'm sure that those threads will come out throughout this conversation as we're going to discuss technology and stewardship. But first, just to unpack your story a little bit further, what time was it in your life when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yeah. So I was raised Catholic and not like the Christmas Easter kind. But we went, I went to Catholic school. Um, I was confirmed in high school. And so the idea, the concept of God was always important in our home. But personally, it was a little bit theoretical and kind of confined to Sundays. And it wasn't until actually my brother, I watched him transform. He had a total transformation. He went from a party animal to a pastor (laughs) over a couple of years. And he was attending Francis Chan's church in Simi Valley. It was a teeny tiny church. And our whole family got like whiplash looking at this transformation in his life. Like what is going on? We go to church too, but the Jesus he's talking about is different. And so I, I was so curious. I started going to the same church too, Cornerstone in Simi Valley, California. And it was the gospel went from two-dimensional to 3D color, just completely colliding with my life. And it was the first time I really understood, 
oh my gosh, I don't have what it takes to be good enough. Like I will never be good enough on my own. I need something outside of myself. And Jesus offers that to me freely. So that was in high school for me. And and I'm just so grateful. My brother's still a pastor. Um, we live in Central California now. He lives up here with his family and it was his life. So I hope that encourages your list- listeners. If you're a believer and you have unbelieving family members or family members who are tepid maybe in their faith, the way you live your life is so powerful to them. So you and your brother were completely transformed. Was it the same story for your mom and dad? Yeah. You know, um, so many great conversations, so many interesting, like sorting out what we believe, what does the Bible say? So yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of this like transformation in our, in our entire family. It was very powerful that the testimony of a, you you can't underestimate the testimony of a life that's been just completely wrecked by Jesus. It's absolutely so powerful. And now just to catch us up, will you tell us a bit about your current life stage? Yes, I am a mom and foster mom to six kids, ages five to 12. So there's six kids within seven years of each other. We are very busy, (laughs) but it's really good. And knowing Jesus and my need for Jesus. And in that regard, he has used and continues to use mothering specifically to just remind me of my need for grace, for patience, for joy outside of my own strength. And that's where I am now, but I'm seeing the fruit over over a long span of time, starting to see the fruit of faithfulness in these kids and just making my metric obedience to God rather than what I can see. So I'm I'm really grateful that he got a hold of my life early on. And yeah, that's pretty much it. My husband is amazing. I, six kids would not be doable without such a hands-on dad. And we live in Fresno, where we grow most of the country's food. It's very big in ag, and I love it here. It's just everyone's so family-oriented. It's just a great place. That's so great to hear the picture of your family. And now as we move on from your story to this current stage of life where you've really researched so much about technology and even written a book about it, what are some of the things that you've learned as you researched more about tech use and our children's developing brains and bodies? Yeah, this was one of my favorite parts about writing the book. I was blown away. I read, you know, stacks of books about what this technology is doing to our brains, what it's doing to our kids' brains, how it's coming in like a wildfire, just changing our culture. I think there are two things that were the most surprising. One of them was the approach from all different disciplines. No matter what someone's background was in, neurologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, speech therapist, pastor, MIT professor, all of these people are ringing the same alarm saying, from my perspective, from what I study, this is a massive problem. And they were all kind of landing in the same place. That was pretty interesting to me. And then the other thing on a more personal level and experiential level was our kids' screen time, the games and apps, the the way it impacts them is goes so far beyond when they're playing. It is not relegated to the time they're playing and then right after, which is what I thought before we detoxed our kids. I thought, well, the, the attentional hold is just during that time window. So if we could just get through that, the rest of the day is not affected. 
Well, no, it's actually not true at all. What's true is that the brain is being bathed in these stress hormones, cortisol, this fight or flight mode that our kids are going into. And not only that, but their dopamine levels are getting so high because the the games and apps are purposefully engineered to release excessively high amounts of dopamine in the brain. So when your kid and a lot of your listeners might find, gosh, my kids complain that everything is boring if it doesn't involve a screen. What's that about? Well, there's science behind that. It's not all. It's not really their fault. It's that the dopamine levels are so high when they're playing those video games, and that's the feel good chemical, that neurotransmitter, that real life can't compare. So. It's not their fault that real life seems boring to them. It's just science. The brain is actually being rewired by our consumption of digital media. So there's so much science to support taking a break, taking a digital fast. And that blew me away. Because when we did this experiment on our kids, we saw the incredible transformation. But I didn't understand behind the scenes until I researched it. Another interesting thing. So we, we detoxed our kids before COVID. And I'm so thankful that we did because it gave us the tools to get through lockdowns and make that time actually enjoyable as a family. And I don't say that out of pride. I say it out of just, you know, we didn't pick the timing, but but I've seen firsthand that if you can help your kids develop ways to be entertained with nothing but their imagination, they will take off and flourish. So this lockdown time for our family was actually really sweet. And because of COVID, the research that has come out since then is mind-blowing. Before COVID, we were in the midst of the worst youth mental health crisis we'd ever seen. But over the course of COVID, for kids, screen time doubled and depression tripled for our kids. So 12-year-olds, for example, went from spending four hours a day being digitally entertained to eight hours a day. That is a full-time job worth of digital entertainment. That's a it's unreal to think about that. That doesn't even count technology used for school. And the effects are showing in the classroom. They're showing at home. You know, eye doctors are are finding new vision problems. So it's huge. The problem is massive. And I think just to encourage parents, you're not crazy. Like if you're noticing this thing in your kids and you're feeling this nudge that I think something's off. But you look around and you're like, well, this is the average. We're setting limits. We're setting boundaries. This is what the American Academy of Pediatrics says, no more than two hours a day. And it's still giving you negative effects. If you're still seeing meltdowns after screen time and you're in your gut, you're thinking, I think maybe it's not right. You're probably right. So take that confidence as a parent to make a change if you feel that way. You know, God put you in this position on purpose and you have insight that nobody else has. So I just want to encourage you with that. A few things that really stood out from your book. First, how casinos actually use similar techniques that digital entertainment developers use. We've heard before these apps can be addictive. But that was fascinating to hear that it's the same as casinos. And we see what an addiction problem that has caused. And then also, I'd love for you to elaborate on something you wrote, that when we're in the glow of screens, we're often in fight or flight mode. And I think that's what you're alluding to at the cortisol levels. So when you combine that with these crazy high dopamine levels rising from screens, what do you think that does to us long term? Oh yeah, it's destroying our kids' ability to develop 
the skills they need to succeed in life, to develop sustained focus and delayed gratification, to develop those talents and gifts that they were uniquely wired to have by God. So, you know, we have this opportunity to cultivate our kids and a responsibility to do so. And unfortunately, we are entertaining them instead. We're numbing them out. And just like you mentioned, you know, it's it's amping our kids up into fight or flight mode. So the, the way this plays out practically, and you probably see this in your kids, if if you had tablets in your home, if you've done video gaming, um, and please hear me, I hope there's no shame that you're feeling. I am a person who bought in early to, to this technology. I was the first in line for the tablets. I loved the idea that we could sit at a quiet restaurant and enjoy a meal without having to walk the kids around and do a little entertaining for them. But it was it's over time that we saw the negative effects. So if you have tried this technology and you're getting nudges that there's something off, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in trying new technology and then learning something new and kind of doing a course correction. So I hope that comes across. But yes, the dopamine levels, the cortisol levels, it's ruining our kids' moods. And we've especially seen this. I've helped a lot of families who are foster parents through this. We're foster parents and we've seen the biggest change in those kids who came from trauma. So these kids with early childhood trauma, they have already had their brains bathed in cortisol, that stress hormone. And so they're particularly susceptible to overstimulation and the negative effects of having their their minds and their attention amped up like in this fashion. So because of that, the best transformations I've observed, this is my favorite type of kids to talk about with the detox is kids from trauma backgrounds because they are both starving for connection and they need help regulating their brains. They need help practicing self-regulation. So it's completely transformative. And I guess the, the most mind-blowing thing too is how quickly it can work for your kids. I mean, when you are fasting from all these devices from these dopamine factories, these little dopamine factories we're handing our kids, you reset those levels. So now you think, oh, my kid doesn't like to read. My kid doesn't want to go play outside. They say it's boring. And so parents will just give up there. Once you hit the timeout button, now your kids have a chance to develop a love and interest in those things. So it's really incredible how quickly it can work. You know, I don't believe all technology is is bad. So it, technology can be incredibly useful as a tool. What we've found though, is that with most families I help, the, it has taken over too much of the time in the home. It's filled up too many of those in-between gaps. It's taken too big of a hold on our kids' attention and their hearts and minds. And so the goal of this detox is not to eliminate all technology forever. It's actually just to put it in its right place in the home. So that's what I help families do through the book. The first half is about the detox, getting you through those two weeks and the second half is about how to create a long-term plan where technology is working for you. And as mom and dad, you are perfectly positioned to make this plan. And it's going to look a little different for every family. And I think that's really beautiful. Our family happens to love digital entertainment. And maybe that's because of my dad's background. We really enjoy quality television shows. We really enjoy quality movies. And so most families decide there's absolutely a role for that in their long-term plan, but the the detox zone is what kind of helps give you clarity there. And I love that response because I think it's helpful. We are going into the negative effects first 
but we will zoom out and this will become more of a stewardship conversation, but so helpful to not go past the negative parts first because I don't want anybody to hear this, like you said, and feel shame or condemnation, but more so that we're all in this together and we have the same enemy. And so we don't know what we don't know yet. And conversations like this are really helpful to become knowledgeable as we steward technology in our households. But just one more piece of your book as well. I'm just going to read from page 123 where you write that someone asked tech expert and motivational speaker Colin Karchner what age kids should get a smartphone. Colin replied that it should be whatever age parents are ready for them to start looking at porn. That was really sobering. So is there anything you wanted to add to that piece as well? Oh, yeah. When you give your kids access to any device with Wi-Fi. So it's not just a smartphone, a laptop, a tablet. You are handing over access to the entire world. You're opening these valves of influence on your kids. And that quote was so sobering to me. And pornography, you know, whether it's from a Christian perspective, and we know that we know what God says about sex and its purpose in marriage, but that is being twisted and exploited and shown to our kids younger and younger. One third of kids today have seen porn by the age of 12. So younger and younger, it's an onslaught. One third of internet downloads are pornography related. And this one really blew my mind. Porn-based websites get more monthly visitors than Amazon, Twitter, and Netflix combined. So There are studies that show us, too, that access to pornography and pornography addiction, it can make kids and grownups struggle in relationships. So we don't need to wring our hands, but we need to take it seriously. We need to roll up our sleeves here and not just leave our kids to their own devices, so to speak. Step in and be aware and kind of create appropriate boundaries. Sometimes parents will argue, well, it's a digital world. And we need our kids to be proficient in the digital world. So they'll hand their kids a device earlier. And I think that was the trend a little while ago. I think in, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007 and the iPad came out in 2011. And for a while, that was the trend. Parents are like early, you know, give your kids uh, smartphones early, help them get proficient. Well, that's not what it was doing. It wasn't creating rocket scientists. It was creating really depressed kids and kids who are accessing pornography early. So I I believe the tide is turning with that. I think we've taken what we're seeing and we're kind of doing a course correction. I'm seeing that from a lot of parents. I think it's just starting, but there's a lot of work to be done here. And the rating systems of our day, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, 90s, like me, it was hard to access stuff like that. It was the squiggly channels up high at a sleepover that a friend would, would try and put on, but you can't really see anything. And it's, not appropriate. You know, you tell your parents later, but, but what kids have access to now is violent graphic pornography and parents are the new rating system. So we really can't afford to, to sit idly by. They, they need us. So best we did prepare the kids for a digital world is to help your kids grow in wisdom, in discernment, to train them up. And as they get a little older, then they can apply that wisdom and discernment to the digital world. So in the same way that if you want to raise an Olympic swimmer, you wouldn't toss your baby in a pool. The baby needs to learn how to crawl and then they need to learn how to walk. 
And then they would probably do some mommy and me swim lessons and they need to learn self-control and discipline and all of these things. It's, it's a process. So we know that the prefrontal cortex in the brain, that, that center that helps us make good decisions, that helps us regulate our bodies and delay gratification. It's not even, it's not fully developed until people are 25 years old. So our young kids don't have a shot if we're handing them these dopamine factories. They need help. They need their parents. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. With over 1,700 apartment units available throughout Pekin, Peoria, Peoria Heights, Morton, Washington, and Canton, and with every price range covered, you will have plenty of options when you rent through Lehman Property Management Company. They have townhomes, duplexes, studios, and garden-style options located in many areas throughout Pekin. In Peoria, a historic downtown location and apartments adjacent to the OSF Medical Center provide excellent choices. Check out their brand new luxury property in Peoria Heights overlooking the boutique shops and fine dining on Prospect. And in Morton, they offer a variety of apartment homes with garages, a hot downtown location, and now a brand new high-end complex near Idlewood Park. Their beautiful, spacious apartments with private garages in a quiet but convenient location await you in Washington. And if you're looking in Canton, don't miss Village Square Apartments. Renters may be excited to learn about their flexible leases, pet-friendly locations, and even mini storage units available in some locations. Lehman Property Management Company has a knowledgeable and helpful staff including several employees with over 30 years working with this reputable company. If you want to become a part of their team, contact them about open office positions. They're also hiring in their maintenance department, so we invite you to find out why so many people have chosen to make a career with them. Check them out on Facebook today or email their friendly staff at leasing at laymanprops.com. You can also stop by their website at laymanproperties.com. That's L-E-M-A-N properties.com. Check them out and find your place to call home today. What was it that led to that initial tech detox in your home? And what were the unexpected results? Yeah. So my oldest was born in 2009. And then my second oldest was born in 2011. So we had the tablets. We used them. But we'd get these nudges over time. Like, hmm. They can't transition from a screen activity to a non-screen activity without falling apart, total meltdown. But I didn't see those effects if they were transitioning from like a puzzle, you know, to a mealtime. But life is busy and parenting is busy and it's hard and we've got stuff to do. But enough of those over time. And finally, the straw that broke the camel's back was I came home one day from running errands and one of my kids greeted me at the door with not, hi, mommy, but can I play on your phone? And it put such a bad taste in my mouth. It was like, hey, electronics gatekeeper, give me a fix. And something was off. Like that was wrong to me. I hated it. So I called my husband at work and I'm like, you know, I think we need to make a change. I think we just need to unplug the kids completely. And he was all about that. He said, look, if you're in, I'm in. You're the one who stays home with them. So you're going to have to bear the brunt of most of this. So absolutely and it was really scary because I was homeschooling two of the kids at the time and I had two three-year-olds and one of them was a foster placement. Life was not easy. It was very hectic and stressful. So, But we broke the news to the kids at dinner and they fell apart. 
They wept basically. And it, I was in my mind thinking, what have I done? Did I just sign up for several weeks of meltdowns like this? Is it going to be them crying and staring at me for two weeks? And I was terrified. But on the outside, you know, we stood firm. We love you guys. This isn't the punishment. It's just something we're trying for a little while. And between my husband and I, we knew we just wanted to try this thing for two weeks. I didn't give the kids a timeline just because I didn't think it would be helpful. I didn't want them counting it down. And we could do that because my oldest was 10 and nine or 10. I can't remember. But we could leave it open-ended like that. And I'm so glad we did because what happened was it was like flipping a switch. By the time morning rolled around, the kids woke up and they were playing with the toys on their shelves and they were playing with each other because they knew that it was a non-starter. They knew not to even ask for screen time because we told them, no, it's just like, don't even bother asking. So they just started playing with each other and their moods were better so they could play for longer periods of time. And once we took the screen time off the table, we also saw that previously when the kids would hit a wall of boredom, that they would use it as an opportunity to turn and say, can I watch a show? Or can I play? Can I use my screen time right now? And we would just say, okay, sure, whatever. Well, now they hit that wall in their brain. They'd hit boredom and they'd think, there's nothing else. Like I can't use my screen time. So what else can I do? And they would practice the skill of negotiating boredom, which is a skill that our kids need. All people need that. And then they would create something or initiate a game with a sibling. And it was beautiful. They started playing together for longer, more cooperatively. They started honing individual talents and interests. So I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. And I kind of mentioned something about it on social media and people were like, oh my gosh, please tell us about this. How did you do this? Because I started to realize everyone's kind of in this boat and the conversation can be a little bit riddled with shame because parents think, well, is there something wrong with my kid? Or am I doing this thing wrong? Like, my child is not a zombie. It's not, they're not a swamp creature, but they're acting like one. And I don't know, is this normal? And, and when I shared a little bit about that online, I saw, oh my gosh, everyone is in this boat. We are collectively this first generation of parents who are wading through technology that is engineered to addict our kids. It's bringing out the worst in them and we need help. And what's beautiful I find is using that same technology to connect with each other and share tools to put it in its right place. Okay, so I feel like that's the first half of the story and you did this detox. Did you end up doing it for two weeks or did you continue longer? So our plan was two weeks, but we got to the end of it. We started in like a mid, mid-February and we got to the end of the month and I looked at my husband and we're like, why would we go back? Why would we introduce the technology back when we've had phenomenal results. So we just extended it. And we could do that without much pushback because we had told our kids until further notice. So further notice wound up stretching to, I think, like five months. And we just had none of it. No digital entertainment for the kids. And it was the sweetest season. Our kids, uh, my daughter, who was already an incredible reader, she grew five grade levels in reading. And she was already reading at at a higher level. But (laughs) And my son, I thought, oh, he's just not interested in reading for pleasure. Well, he wasn't because digital entertainment was on the table. So if there was something that required less effort, he would just take that route instead. But once that was off the table, that kid 
grew to love reading and I have to tell him to put books down all the time. Like, Hey, we have a, you know, your cousins are over, put the book away. So I couldn't even believe the transformation over time, but that is what happens when you take it all away. You're giving your kids this window to awaken a love of real life of things that will actually benefit them for the long haul. So yeah, it was five months until finally, and I was kind of like, let's just do this forever. <laughs> but my husband kind of came to me, he said, you know, they do, they had started asking a little bit, like, are we ever going to get to play some of our favorite things again? And my husband, I think wisely pointed out, you know, maybe we can introduce it back in a very tiny d- dose. And, and so that's what we did. We created a long-term plan where we wanted some parameters nothing like it was before. And we, before our detox, we were like one or two hours a day of digital entertainment. So we thought we were super responsible and we were really, but the effects were still there. So what we did was we created a long-term plan that we wanted to create this posture where when we're sorting through the kids' requests, we we have an idea, like a framework to go through. And that is that we use technology to connect with each other and we use it to create that's a great use of technology, but we don't use it to isolate and consume. So we got rid of that pretty much altogether. So that meant the tablets were gone for our kids. Um, They collect dust. I don't know where the chargers are for them even, but for our older kids, we let them have an hour a week, which is only on the weekends of an approved video game that they enjoy. So that has served our family really well. Um, we still enjoy family movies and television shows and using that to connect, you know, after dinner and dishes are done and kids have their PJs on. We love watching a show. We we love the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We watch it every Christmas. So stuff like that, we don't we don't even count that. Um, we don't track those hours because we're enjoying something as a family. Or if, if I'm in the kitchen, we have a computer in our kitchen and making dinner. Sometimes the kids will say, I want to bake a dessert. And I'll say, great, these are the ingredients we have. You can Google those ingredients. I'm standing right here. So we don't even count that. And and we feel so much freedom as parents, you know, an awareness. We're always kind of watching to see and, and being aware. But we have so much more freedom now knowing that we've put it in its right place for us. And of course, we're going to have to adjust that over time because what works for seven, eight, nine-year-olds isn't going to work for 14, 15, 16-year-olds. So as our kids get older, obviously, that changes. And we've seen that too. We've had some foster daughters, several who are teens, and we've seen that smartphones. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, my oldest, actually, we we got her a gab phone for coordinating rides. We had a couple of scary ride situations with the, the bus and missing the bus. And so we're like, you know what? We need a phone. And in the literal sense of phone, not like connecting to the internet. The gab phone's a perfect starter phone, by the way. It is no internet access, no app store, no game. So it's basically calls and texts. So we, what we found was that she, what she really wanted was she wanted to be able to connect with friends at school who all text each other. And we thought, well, that's reasonable. So before we went the phone route, we we set up an Apple ID in the kitchen, again, at the kitchen computer, and we let her so that she could be a part of these text conversations with friends and the computer's open and it's in the kitchen and mom and dad are walking back and forth all the time. So we're constantly, as our kids are getting older, kind of taking in the information that's available and reassessing and trying something and, oh, that didn't work or, hey, this worked really well. So I love having open conversations with our kids and we want them to know you can always come to us. Like if, if there's a technology you want to try, 
if there is something you want to be a part of, like, let's just talk about it. Or if even if there's something you saw or a friend showed you, like, let's talk about it. We're never going to freak out. <laughs> you know, we just want to provide context for these things and caution and and ask those questions like, what do you see as the hazards here? What do you see as um, places that could possibly lead to trouble? And, you know, just talking that through, keeping that line of communication open. That's so helpful to hear your experience. And probably we're all going to borrow different ideas as we apply it to our own situation. But if anyone else loves action steps like me, will you now share your five steps to prep for detox if someone wants to implement this in their own household? Absolutely. So what we found is that every successful detox that I've helped parents with has four main components in common. So I break it down so you can remember easily. It's UNDO is an acronym. So UNDO the tech trance. So the U stands for unplug cold turkey two weeks. Now I say two weeks because I think that's the minimum you should do. But of course you can stretch that out if you want to. I think that's actually really great, especially if your kids are younger and you can do that like we did. You will really enjoy the results of that, I believe. So unplug cold turkey two weeks, that that includes Netflix, gaming, tablets, all that stuff. So each of these letters I'm breaking down for you, each of these steps is a chapter in the book that you can that will go into much more detail. So if you want more for your listener, you can find that in the book. And then the second one is and notice your kids' interests, talents, shortcomings like never before. So you are a student of your kid. You know, the God's word tells us to train up our child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from that. And what was really interesting is our pastor shared with us years ago that that actually translates to train him up according to his bent, according to his wiring. And so often we think our kids are, their favorite hobbies are a video game. That's normal. That's what most kids are. And that's what I thought. My three oldest kids, their favorite hobbies were each a different video game before our detox. Well, once all of that was off the table, I got to know our kids like never before. It was like I removed this filter and I could understand their wiring better because I saw the questions they were asking, the activities where they stuck around a little longer. And you're going to notice where those interests are and those skills, and then you're going to feed those things. So one of my kids loves to cook. <laughs> and whereas before the detox, he would maybe be interested in a quesadilla and then kind of get out of the kitchen after the detox and during the detox, he would sit in there a little longer and watch me cook and ask to help. So I'm like, oh man, maybe we should check out a kid's cookbook from the library. And so feeding those interests that those kids have to help them grow in those. So, um, and that includes too, like I mentioned, shortcomings. Um, you know, it's our job to help our kids get prepared for the world. And if your child is struggling with patience, uh, waiting their turn, working collaboratively, even reading or um, just some basic things, back and forth conversation with a grown-up, eye contact. It's our job to help our kids develop those skills. So it's a really good opportunity to kind of learn about what our kids need from us. This is my favorite part of the detox because my kids, I love them so much, I die for them. And you know, I know your listener feels the same way. And to get to know anyone that closely is such a privilege. And also to have the responsibility to shepherd them starting with exactly where they are, it's it's a pretty profound calling that we have as parents. And so to be able to get the kind of clarity that you'll get during a detox is such a huge advantage. 
Okay, so U N D develop a list of screen-free fun together. So this is really important for for two main reasons. The first is that during your detox, inevitably, a child or more than one child will come up to you and say, I'm bored. And for parents, we are doing a million things at a time. We are moving the laundry over and preparing the meal and calling the doctor to make the appointment, all these things. And so that's actually a huge vulnerability is to when parents want to cave and just give into the screen time request because we have so many things to do. We have so many responsibilities to take care of. So when you make this list at the beginning of your detox, first of all, it's providing so many options for your kids for what to do when they hit that boredom wall. So you're going to make this list. You're going to sit with them. Think about your own childhood. Add some of those things on there and then ask your kid, like, what are, what are some things you want to accomplish in the next two weeks that sound fun or worthwhile? And you're going to stick that list on your fridge so that when you're in the middle of all of the work that you're doing, you can point your kids to that list and you can say, well, consult the list. Or, you know, if you're still bored, I have some chores you're welcome to help with. And the kids will, I promise you, they'll find something to do pretty quickly. But also the second reason and probably the more important reason for developing that list with your kids is it shows them that it's not that complicated. It's not that hard to think of ideas to create. Their brains were were wired by God to invent, to create, to make, and to hone their talents and skills. So if they just put a little bit of work in, they can figure out how to, to do that themselves. So oftentimes parents will find that just the exercise of making the list shows the kids they have everything they need to troubleshoot their boredom. And then the last letter O is open the books. And this is so, so encouraging. I I hope you feel encouraged by this. If you're listening, if your kid is not a reader or if you've just written it off as, oh, reading for pleasure isn't their thing, you can transform any kid into a reader. I'm not talking from the experience of just having like one or two bookworm kids. I, you know, I have six right now. I, we've had foster kids in and out of the home and I've seen the transformation that reading for pleasure can have on our kids introducing empathy you're putting you're helping them to put themselves in someone else's shoes you're teaching them delayed gratification you know reading isn't just its own hobby but it's also a gateway to all of the other hobbies occupations it's it ha- will help them in school for sure but whatever your child is interested in reading for pleasure and developing that in your kids is giving them such a gift that will last their entire lives so So those are the main things. And I think you had said five. So I think you're adding that other, I had another chapter on reading aloud, which is truly the magical way to hook any child on reading. No matter how old your kid is. I remember in high school, I always kind of liked to read for pleasure, but my older brother didn't really enjoy it. And I remember my dad, my brother had to read a book for one of his classes. And my dad said, you know, we'll read it together. I think it was The Call of the Wild. And I would hear them in my brother's room. We shared a wall. And my dad would go in every night and he would read aloud to my brother. And my brother got through that whole book. And he said he really enjoyed it. It was such great memories for him. And so sometimes we think, oh, well, reading aloud is for little kids. And that's just not true. There are examples, and I have one of these in the book, of a high school. I think it was a continuation school that was failing and enrollment was down and the test scores were terrible and a new principal came in and he implemented read aloud time in the morning and then 
reading for pleasure, like 15 minutes a day at the end of the day. And the reading scores just like skyrocketed. And over the course of two years or three years, there was a wait list to get into this school. And, you know, even if you think back to your own childhood, I'm thinking of junior high, my teacher after lunchtime, you know, the teacher would read aloud The Princess Bride. That's what it was in our class. And I just had the best. I don't remember anything. Or I remember a few things I learned in eighth grade, but I do remember my teacher reading The Princess Bride after school. And as she would wrap up and her voice would slow down at the end of the chapter, it's like, oh, no, no, please don't stop. I just love this. I'm so sucked into the story. I can't believe I have to wait till tomorrow. And and that's really powerful. So so remember that and and just push through that initial. If your kid kind of groans a little bit like, oh, I'm too old for this or, oh, I don't really want to. Um, there are ways to sweeten the deal for them so you can kind of push through that. Oh, come on. It'll be so fun. And how about a popsicle and some reading or whatever? And if you can create those moments, you're going to connect with your kids. You're going to to share a story with them. There's actually a study I had heard recently that when you listen to a story read aloud together, your hearts start to beat in sync with each other. So it, it's just really power. I mean, there's so much power in in reading aloud. There really is. And we never outgrow that. Even what we're doing right now, listening to a podcast or listening to audiobooks, that's someone reading aloud or communicating aloud to us. And just to put an exclamation point on everything you've just said, I'm going to read one more quote of yours from page 97. And you write, reading aloud to your kids is the simplest and most effective activity for bonding, stress relief, education, listening comprehension, vocabulary building, team building, imagination spurring, building sustained attention, and more. And I just think we can't underestimate its power. There is an exciting project taking place behind the scenes right now, and I would love to invite you to participate. I will give you more details as I'm able, but for now, here's my request. Will you email me your personal story of a specific way God has clearly shown up in your life? Big or small, I want to hear an account of the way he made himself known to you and maybe received credit for an answered prayer, or a way he worked out a situation in a miraculous way, or how he displayed his power in your life. There is no limit to the type of story to submit, as long as it's true. So please email me your story at this email address, info at thesavvysauce.com. I can't wait to read your story. Thanks for sharing. What are some of the thoughtful questions that you think parents can consider when they're first evaluating their own tech use and their household's tech use? Yes. You know, the purpose of the detox is to put technology in its right place. So what I did was at the at the beginning of the book, I want to help parents kind of get that clarity for does this does all of this technology further our family's purpose? And when you kind of drill that down, a lot of parents say, well what is our family's purpose or what do we hope to accomplish during these 18 years? And you know, I was talking to a high school teacher who I actually interviewed for the book and she works in this high performing high school and she was explaining to me that the kids are you know it's from these accomplished parents it's a wealthy area and there's so much pressure on these kids to perform so much pressure to get into the best schools and it almost seems like 
if we haven't clarified our long-term parenting plan, our purpose as a family, as raising our kids, then we'll just default into whatever the culture around us, whatever their plan is for their parenting, whatever those those big goals are. And, and so in this area, this high school teacher was sharing, it's just, it's performative. It's, you know, what is the best school you can possibly get into? So these kids are in this rat race to get A pluses across the board. And, you know, there's, it's great to, to do well in school, of course, but is that the end goal of our parenting? And, and too often today, we're just trying to get through the day. We're just trying to get from A to B to C, from soccer to, you know, dance class and all these things. We're just kind of trying to survive. But what I like to help parents do at the beginning of the book is, is kind of zoom out and say, well, what are, what are we trying to accomplish here? What do we want our kids to, when they move out, when they're 18, when they're, when we're moving them into their dorm room, what do we want to, them to say? Like, you know what? Growing up, you guys instilled this in me. You taught me that no matter what, you know, I'm fully known and fully loved by God and that you're always there for me and that, you know, whatever it is for you. And, and then working backwards from there, like, well, then what is our plan based on our purpose? Do we want to just get to the end of this thing and say, wow, we were just kind of passing the time um, in a frantic way. We were enter- entertaining our kids instead of cultivating their gifts. And, and we don't want that, of course. So so what we want to do is kind of rewind and, and zoom back into where we are and think, how do we accomplish, how do we get to the goals we're setting, you know, way when our kids turn 18? What do we do today? And thankfully, those things are really simple. You know, they happen in those in-between moments. You look back and and you look in God's word for his call on parents. And, and he's so gracious to us. You see, he doesn't command that all parents parent a very specific way. You know, it's not like thou shalt eat organic foods. Thou shalt homeschool all of your children every year. You know, it's none of that. But where he is clear to parents, we want to hold that. And you look at Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and he, he tells people, I'm obviously paraphrasing here, but he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he says, parents, teach these things to your kids diligently. Talk about me when you're walking down the road. Talk about me when you're lying down and getting up and going down the way. You know, when we're called to do this diligently, to instill a love of God and a knowledge of him in our children. Unfortunately, we're living in a culture, even in the church, where all of those in-between moments, the, the laying down, the kitchen table moments, the driving down the road moments, there is a device in hand and the attention is not on each other. It is on the device. So I help parents take a minute, put the devices down for two weeks and kind of get those moments back because technology is not the enemy here, but we've just found that it seeped in over time and kind of flooded and filled all of those sweet little gaps that parents have used for discipleship for thousands of years. So for the Christian parent, we're taking back those moments so that we can teach our kids diligently. And now we have the space to do that. I love that you remind us technology is not the enemy. Satan is our enemy. And maybe one insidious way that he's led us off track is through improper use or stewardship of technology, or maybe it's a different way. But going really big picture as we start to wind down our time, 
Will you just vision cast for us now what discipleship could look like if we choose to be more intentional in parenting? Yes. You know, my favorite moments with my kids are the simplest. The the kid on my lap, the lawn chair, watching them run around and play freeze tag, the silly conversations in the car, you know, blanket on the lawn with a popsicle. The, you know, it's so simple and I'm so grateful for a gracious God who made connection to be so simple. And it's in those moments where our kids are seeing that we are fully invested in them, that they're fully known and fully loved by us. And they want to know, well, what do you think about the world? And they're receptive to the wisdom and the teaching that you want to impart on them. So these are the opportunities to share with our kids about a God who knows them fully and loves them fully and spared no expense to carry the weight of their sin by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. And that God wants to know us intimately. He already does. And he wants us to come to him and know him. So these are the ways that we connect with our kids. And I, I, you know, when we live in a Pinterest world and this culture of you're looking on as, as moms, we look on social media and we see, oh my gosh, we need the craft boxes. And oh my gosh, we need the Pinterest elaborate parties and we need all these things in order to connect with our kids. But that's, uh, and if you're wired that way, that's, that's fantastic. I have friends who are wired like that and I admire them and it's great, but you don't have to be wired a certain way to love your kids well. And in fact, God purposefully paired you with your kids, knowing your wiring, making your wiring, and he paired you with them on purpose. So you have what you need by design to train them up well and to train them up diligently and to love them well. And so the question is just, are we going to get back in the driver's seat? Are we going to choose to intentionally parent and disciple them diligently? And I would just encourage parents that you can. And if you have gone too far down the rabbit hole with technology, if you feel like maybe you have entertained your kids more than cultivated them, welcome to the club. (laughs) We are all in it. And you know, it's never too late to just make a shift, make a change. I love that final piece of encouragement. And Molly, where would you like to direct us to learn more or connect with you beyond this conversation? You can find me at mollydefrank.com, D-E-F-R-A-N-K. I would love to connect with you. I've got lots of fun, free things for you. I've got a list of screen-free fun ideas to get you started if you're doing a detox. I also have some fun bonuses right now. If you order the book, you can get a spousal convincer. We find a lot of moms want to do this, but the dads aren't so sure. So um, I laid that all out for you in a free PDF when you buy the book. And lots of other fun things for you on there. You can find me on Instagram. I love sharing tips for how we navigate technology in our home. And I would love to connect with you. I'd love to hear if you've done the detox. I'd love to hear how it goes. Feel free to reach out with any questions. Wonderful. We will link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode. And you are already aware we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question for you today, Molly, what is your Savvy Sauce? (laughs) My Savvy Sauce is car ride discipleship. So using that car that car ride time with your kids to impart whatever it is you want to share 
um, whether it's a silly song or a joke or, you know, the learning the Ten Commandments, just using that time in a redemptive way. Yeah, I love it. It's one of my favorite things. Oh, it's so good. So practical. And you are just really knowledgeable and grace-filled on this topic. And you've equipped us with steps to get started. And you've even painted an encouraging picture of the joy that's available and that can come through parenting intentionally and purposefully as we're spirit-led and guided by God through his word. So thank you so much, Molly, for being my guest today. Thanks, Laura. I so appreciate all Molly had to share. And I wanted to let you know, this is the last regular episode our team is going to release for the year. But you can also stay in touch with us through email. If you join our email list, you're going to receive the next article at the beginning of January that's going to include five questions to start your year off well. And as for episodes, our next Patreon-only episode is going to go live on January 2nd. So I hope all of our patrons enjoy that episode about cultivating emotionally healthy relationships in your family. And if you're not a member of Patreon already, would you consider joining? We have a database of 50 bonus podcast episodes that you're going to instantly gain access to when you give five or more dollars per month to the work that we get to do here. You will also have access to beautiful downloadable scripture cards. So if you've benefited in any way this year from the Savvy Sauce, we would be so grateful if you showed your support by heading to thesavvysauce.com and clicking the Patreon tab where you can just follow the promptings to join. Otherwise, we will come back from our break with a brand new episode for everyone on January 9th. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.